0: And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. It's so nice to be back and we are live. Just so you know, we had a last minute call from Dr. Alex McFarlane that he had to cancel and I thought, oh no. <laughs> so we put on a uh, an episode of Alex's teaching on the new friend, same seven questions. And as I listened to it, I thought that was a really good segment. He is a gifted communicator, but we are live right now and we're going to start our hour with Jeff Verdorn as we continue our study on who is this Jesus. We are at part 15 and we talked about some of the teachings of Jesus over the last several episodes, but today we're going to talk about 10 very difficult teachings of Jesus. So we're going to get more into the minutia of some of the difficult teachings of Jesus. We've touched on them in the past, talking to Jeff, but we're going to get more specific today. So, Jeff, I am looking forward to this uh, hour together, and thank you once again for being on the show.
1: Hi, Bill. I can't believe it's number 15
0: already. Wow. I can't either. So, um, let's, uh, let's dig in. I think we're going to start with some teachings uh, that are difficult from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Is there a passage you'd like me to read? Well, no, because we
1: on this one we're not going to read a passage. I'll just uh, cite the fact that I think it was two sessions ago we covered the Sermon on the Mount from beginning to end, and so we covered really the core teachings of the Sermon on the Mount. One of the items we'll end with here when we discuss the difficult parts of the Sermon on the Mount, and and just as we start to cover these ten difficult teachings, um. I I just want to remind everybody that while there are some difficult words that we need to understand, we're going to try to do that today, some difficult words that come from Jesus. There are also many, many very easy words to understand, and I just want to start with, I think, some of the easiest words of all, and that was when, when Jesus said to Nicodemus on the rooftop, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And that probably the most uh, famous verse of the Bible is truly easy to understand. And that is, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will have eternal life. And if you don't, well, you perish. And that is the clear, simple teaching. So with that, there's many also other very easy teachings of Jesus, but today we're going to cover the difficult ones. The the Sermon on the Mount is where I thought I'd start, because like I said, we covered this a couple of sessions ago, so people can go back and listen to that podcast. But there's a few lines in this sermon that I wanted to cover that are, that are a little hard. Uh, the first one being, for example, if anyone is angry with his brother, Jesus basically equates that with murder. Another one is that he says, if you've lusted, it's the same as committing adultery, And he says, and if you, you're supposed to love those that hate you. I mean, that's a very difficult thing to do. I don't know about you, but it's easy to love people who love me back. It's Mm -hmm. not so easy to love people who hate you. And yet Jesus says, you're supposed to love those who hate you, loving your enemies, as scripture says, he says to turn the other cheek in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, this is, by the way, this is not a, uh, a prohibition against defending yourself or any kind of self-defense. This is basically when someone insults you, you're not supposed to repay evil for evil and pay them back. So he says, turn the other cheek. He says, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. And some want to take that, as we'll see with a couple of the other difficult teachings, like the rich young ruler, that some want to take that as as some kind of prohibition against any kind of earthly wealth in this world. And I just don't think Jesus was saying that. Um, he says to rejoice in your persecution. But the hardest teaching of all in all of this sermon is about halfway through where he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. All the rest of these kind of fall away when you say, well, wait a minute. There's, <laughs> there's no way that I can live a life as perfect as God can live his life. That's just impossible. And I, I think that's exactly the point of the sermon, that it is impossible to live righteously And so we don't learn until after the Gospels, when we get to the teachings of Paul, that this perfection, this righteousness that we receive from God only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. It's what theologians call imputed righteousness. Romans 3 says that now a righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe. So when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, God imputes his righteousness upon you, and you are now seen by God as holy, as blameless, as perfect
0: Mm -hmm. in his eyes. Now, we don't act that way, right? Yeah, but Jeff, don't we have a brand new relationship, not only through a new birth, but that the power of sin has been broken in our life. So we have a different relationship even with sin.
1: We do. So it says in, for example, Romans 6, that when we were lost, we were slaves to sin. Mm -hmm. And now Paul says we're slaves to righteousness. We've been set free from this power of sin and death, by the way, because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God through salvation, through faith, is eternal life. So absolutely, we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. We've been made holy and blameless and perfect. Now he says, this is your calling. Now that I've made you holy, I want you to live a different life in this world than the world does. You know, it's amazing how much of Christianity is so surprised when the world acts like the world. I mean, when you look out at the world, they are sinful. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in his ways. They believe in the world's ways. And so we shouldn't be so surprised when the world acts lost, when they act like the world. There's nothing new under the sun. The wickedness, the injustices that we see, the lies that we see in 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 our neighbors, and governments, in the world, and whatever, are there, there's nothing new
0: under the sun. It's always been like that. Mm-hmm. Jeff, do you ever spend time just thinking about the holiness of God. I mean it's such a it's one of the most daunting thoughts I have in my head is the absolute holiness of God. When he said, Be perfect therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. The fact that he's given us this ability to have power through his son Jesus to have power mm-hmm. over sin, where that that we've been broken from our enslavement to sin. What a gift. What an amazing gift. Yeah. One of one of my
1: consistent laments in this Christian walk is the more you study, the more you realize that that perfect standard just keeps rising and rising and rising. And in our flesh, it's unattainable. Mm -hmm. And we see ourselves as even further and further and further away. But that's why the reality of our position in Christ through faith is that we have been brought near to God. We were once separated from God, But now we've been reconciled to God. We are at peace with God. In fact, we are united with God. And do I lament the fact that I can't live out my calling perfectly every single day? Yes, I yeah. do. But I also thank, thank God for the promise, this great promise of Romans, oh, four or five, I can't, four, I think that he no longer counts our sins against us, right? Yep. They've been separated as far as the East is from the West, and he's cast them away, and he remembers them no more. If he didn't do that, we'd all be in trouble.
0: Yeah, that's such good news, and we should spend time every day meditating on that, and its power, and its beauty, and its impact, because I think we spend we don't spend enough time thinking about that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think the last time, and I have a Sunday group that I teach, and I think about three or four years ago, we we looked at a number of the characteristics of God, uh, His names, His characteristics, His character, and it was it's a powerful study. Yeah, and it, guess what? His ways are not our ways. No, it's true. All right, number two. Number two is hard. Can you read for me from John six? And from John 6, we're going to talk about when Jesus says to eat his flesh, what is this all about? So that's in verse 53
0: through 55 for me. All right, John 6, 53 through 55. 53 through 55. Clearly, we have not rehearsed this. Um, (laughs) Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them.
1: Yeah, even the people that heard this in the first century around him said, This is a hard teaching, verse 60 says. And many of them actually stopped following him on that day, verse 66. And so this, the immediate context here is he says, quote, quote, food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, he says in verse 27 earlier. And I just think while some took this literally, even in Jesus's day, it's, he's clearly using symbolic language here. So, for example, when he was with the woman at the well in John chapter 4, he said to the woman, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask me for living water, and it would well up to eternal life. Well, Jesus didn't have any you know, physical water, special water with him. He was talking about himself and living water, meaning, I need to believe in this Messiah and you would receive living water. She was at the well getting real water. Mm-hmm. He's talking about this little uh, living water. Some of the other imagery, uh, uh, actually, we'll talk about one of them later. Today, it's John 15, where he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Well, Jesus isn't a vine. He says, I am the gate, the gate for his sheep. You must enter through this one gate. Clearly, this is symbolic language. These are metaphors that he is, he is talking about. But we see this metaphor in its fullness at the end of Of Jesus's ministry at the Lord's Supper. So in Luke 22, we have the account of the Lord's Supper where he says, this bread is my body and this this wine, this cup is my blood. This is clearly symbolic of we need to take it. We need to eat it. We need to drink it. We need to take in Jesus. Jeremiah 15 in the Old Testament says, thy word came and I did eat. Eat them. And so we are, the picture of eating my flesh is clearly this, this, this symbolism of the bread, this manna from heaven that you have to eat, which wells up to eternal life, which uh, represented the bread that he has broken, that's broken for us on the cross, that you must eat the word to have life. This is all pictures or clues that paint this picture that what he was speaking is actually symbolic. So I know this is a a really hard teaching. Those in the day thought it was a hard teaching, but the immediate context is clear that he's talking about this food that wells up to eternal life that he has given you, Mm -hmm. which we know from the rest of the New
0: Testament is faith. Yeah. Even the disciples in verse 60 say, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? So even they were uh, questioning and wondering, About it. So it was a hard teaching. We're going to take a break when we come back. Lots more uh, on our series, Who is This Jesus? with Jeff Verdorn. And we're talking about the hard teachings of Jesus today. We'll be right back. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand, no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app in your app store today. The way they keep on telling me, time and time again, boy, you never win. You never win. But the voice of truth
1: tells me a different story. The voice of truth.
0: When you hear that song, you can pretty much hear Jeff Verdorn is in the batter's box. And we're making uh, this hour about difficult teachings of Jesus. And this uh, is creating a lot of uh, stir, which is always a good thing, because uh, people have additional questions, and we'll try to address them as we go along. But Jeff, let's uh, wrap up this uh, difficult teaching of eat my flesh from John 6.
1: Yeah, I've, I've got a quote here from one commentary that I actually like that kind of encompasses some of the aspects of this. It says this, it says, Jesus then compares and cra- contrasts himself to the manna that Israel has eaten in the time of Moses. Quote, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven. Remember that Jesus is the true manna that comes down from heaven, right? That's one of his descriptions, which anyone may eat and not die. What a, what a beautiful picture. Mm-hmm. Whosoever... Believe shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever or anyone who eats will not die. John 6, 49 and 50. Like manna, Jesus came down from heaven, and like manna, Jesus gives life. Unlike manna, the life Jesus gives lasts eternal. In this way, Jesus is greater than Moses. Hebrews 3 3. So that's a commentary. It see how it kind of encompasses all these things. Not only does it relate to the bread that was at the Last Supper, but also this manna that every Jew would have understood, and we can see the picture that Jesus is the true bread from heaven. One last word, because today, this Last Supper, this celebration of the Last Supper, is actually somewhat controversial within Christendom, in broader Christendom. There are some traditions, Christian traditions, such as in the Catholic tradition and the Orthodox tradition, that teach uh, something called transubstantiation, where the bread and the wine become the actual body and blood of Christ. And I think they do it based on this verse that we were just talking about. But even in Lutheranism, which remember broke away from Catholicism for lots of many teachings, has a belief system called consubstantiation, where the where spiritually the body and the blood don't become the actual body and blood of Christ, but Christ is in the bread and the wine. Um, both of those, I would argue, Uh, don't fit the picture that I believe Jesus was clearly saying at the Last Supper. He said, when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're doing this to remember me. The words he is speaking about bread are figurative. He's not being literal about this bread in any way. So at the Last Supper, and 1 Corinthians 11 says about the Last Supper, where Paul writes, he says, then Jesus took the bread and broke it. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For whoever eats this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The purpose of the Lord's Supper is not that I don't believe that Jesus somehow enters into the bread or the bread becomes his flesh. We do it to remember what Jesus did on the cross. That's his words. Do this to
0: remember me. That's what the Last Supper is all about. Hmm. Uh, Jeff, before we carry on, I want to uh, get off your list of 10 and add one more. I have um, a, a listener that Wants to uh, get a question answered about uh, the armor of God. Uh, do we take it off and and do we have to put it on daily? Hmm, that, that is, is
1: a, a very of course good it's question. Out of Ephesians six. Yeah, so so this is not specifically the words of Jesus no, that we're covering. No, yeah, but it's a very good question because I've heard it taught all the time. I actually believe that it, it's an insightful question in this regard. I believe that each of the components of the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, which we are saved, the breastplate of righteousness, which we are righteous, we were talking about that earlier, Mm -hmm. and all the rest are ours through faith at the moment of salvation. So in other words, when we are saved, we have this armor, again, it's it's figurative armor. Paul was writing, he was familiar with the Roman uh, soldiers. He probably was looking at a Roman soldier when he was writing this potentially as he was in prison. And, 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 and so he's describing these components of what we have in Christ through faith in terms of the armor. So I agree with the question or the, the, what's implied in the question is that we are dressed in his armor every day. Uh, I'm sorry, every single day since the day we were saved and we don't we don't specifically have to dress ourselves but we can appropriate these things in our life every day does that make
0: sense well it does i think the question is is it something we have to put on every take on put off every day and the the equi- the equipment uh, the spiritual uh components the belt of truth buckled around your waist the breastplate of righteousness which should be from the moment you are saved and your feet fitted with readiness. Well, there's different times in your life where your feet are more fitted with readiness when it comes to sharing the gospel and, and being ready to do battle. So it seems like, uh, I'm not weighing in on this opinion as to whether or not you put it on and off every day, mm-hmm. but it seems that it's it's um, it's what happens at the time of salvation, but also we we can get stronger.
1: We appropriate uh,
0: we it appro- every day. Yeah, there you go.
1: So when I look at Romans 6 for example it says know this don't when when it talks about our being crucified with Christ don't you know that you were crucified with Christ now reckon it count it and yield to it in the same way I think that's what our armor is we, we have been dressed in the armor of God don't you know that now reckon it consider the fact that you have a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation and 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 this is not talking about that we need to keep our sh- our sword, which is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We need to understand the word. We need to study the word. So that is what we should do. And we mm-hmm. should do it every day. I'm, I'm not referring to that. I'm, I guess I'm more talking positionally okay. that we have been dressed in our armor. Now, just as Ephesians said, and you alluded to this, now that we've been saved and the old man has been put off and the new man has been put on, now Ephesians says, so put off the old man and put on the new the new man, the new self. Uh, so I, that's how I see the armor. Okay. It has been put on. Now consider it put on every single day.
0: Appropriate I like it. it. All right. Jeff yeah. Doran is my guest. We're continuing in the 10 difficult teachings of Jesus plus one. We just added another one that was from <laughs> Ephesians, what Paul was teaching. Let's get back to uh, Matthew 10 and talk about the difficult teachings regarding our enemies.
1: Sure. Could you read Matthew 10 and 35 and 36 for now?
0: Let's see here. Matthew 10. Again, good rehearsal. Uh, 30, 30 31. 35, 35 and 36. Okay. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, A man's enemies will be the members of his own household.
1: Hmm. So do we have to hate our father and our mother and and they're going to turn against us? And the answer is, I think Jesus is describing actually a reality that we see way too often in the world. Um, Those, let me back up. Those who do not believe in the gospel who haven't been saved or not haven't believed in Jesus Christ are not part of God's family. They are not children of God. And scripture actually calls them enemies on the account of the gospel. Romans 11 says, Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 12, whoever is not with me is against me. And I I know there are many, many stories where someone in a family, especially in foreign lands where there's different religions, they become a Christian and they get disowned. They mm-hmm. get kicked out of the house. They get persecuted They and and worse. Yeah. And I think that is exactly what Jesus is talking about
0: here. Well, let's pick that up after the break. Jeff Dorn is my guest. We're continuing our study on who is this Jesus. We are in part 15 talking about the difficult teachings of Jesus. We'll be right back. Get it started jumping your car yeah. what's for dinner yeah. it's the afternoon show with Bill All right here's a little behind the scenes discussion Rosie and Jeff and I had during the break now here's something we should say every day this is first John 4 verse 4 you dear, dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world hmm Say that to what yourself great every promise. day or multiple times a day. All right, Jeff Redorn is my guest. We're continuing our study on who is this Jesus, part 15 already, and we're talking about the difficult teachings of Jesus. I think we're, what, three down already, Jeff? Yeah, So, and,
1: and to wrap up number three, the, there was actually another verse in that Matthew 10 passage about your father and the mother, and he says goes on to say, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. This is kind of one of these... Uh, idioms that we see in scripture, like uh, Jacob, he loved Esau, he hated. God didn't hate Esau. It's a way of saying to love more. Um, God is not saying that you should not love your father and your mother. After all, he had a command that said, honor your father and your mother. I think this is related to the command, which Jesus describes as the first and greatest command to love the Lord, your God with all of your heart and soul and mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And, and, and I'd so I'd say that that's a parallel verse to mm-hmm. that. All right. Number four, uh, Matthew 7. I, I get this question um, probably more than any of these other 10 that we're going to talk about. And that is this passage in Matthew 7 where it says, I never knew you. And, and maybe you could read it again for us, 21 and 23, just
0: 21 and 23. Mm-hmm. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Yeah,
1: so the, the questions usually go something like this. Oh, what happens if I'm one of those that lo- the Lord never knew? And he says to me on the final day, I never knew you away from me. Well, if, if you've ever thought that or if you've ever heard it taught in any way, shape or form, I have really good news. If you are born again, you will never hear those words from Jesus. You have been brought near to God through Christ, and nothing can ever separate you now from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's a promise from Romans. Matthew 7, I believe, the key to understanding this passage, comes a few verses earlier, and that's in in verse 15, where it says, it starts, Watch out for false prophets. This whole passage is about false prophets, not about believers. They come in sheep's clothing. They are really ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about these false prophets. They are the ones who are evildoers. And Jesus will say, away from me. I never knew you. I never knew them. He never knew them because they never believed in Christ and were saved. They were false prophets. So um, they're not true Christians. They're false prophets. Everybody who's believed in Jesus has been brought near to God, Ephesians 2 says, and you're united with God. The, 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 The creator of the universe now dwells within you by his spirit. He'll never say, I never knew
0: you. That's really good. And I was also in Acts chapter 8 and I was uh, remembering the uh, Simon who everyone believed that he was this amazing man of God. And when he saw the spirit that was given on, on the laying of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And he said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter answered May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. And this guy at one point was, uh, you know, Simon himself, um, he astonished people with great signs and the miracles. And everyone thought Mm -hmm. he was uh, this amazing man of God.
1: Yeah, this is debated whether or not Simon was actually saved and received the Holy Spirit by believing or not. Because of Peter's words that says, may your money perish with you. Well, that's straight out of John 3.16 for those who do not believe. Um, So I don't think, I personally don't believe that Simon was a believer. I think you're exactly right. I think this is a parallel passage to what we just read, that he was a false prophet. And will most likely hear the words,
0: depart from me. I never knew you. Yeah, it just pop, popped into my head when you started talking it about it. It was.
1: That. Yeah. Well, the other one is John 10. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Well, if Jesus knows you, he's not going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. So. Yeah. All right. Number five. Uh, this is this is John 15. It comes from John 15. And this is one, I love this teaching because in the English, it appears to say one thing. So we're going to have to uh, look into the Greek a little bit on this passage in order to get a full, more full and and I think clearer understanding. So could you read just John 15
0: uh, verses one and two? Mm -hmm. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be More fruitful.
1: So this is commonly understood that if we are a believer in Christ, but we don't have any fruit, we don't see any fruit in our lives and so on, that Jesus is going to cut us off from the vine. Oh, that sounds really bad, doesn't it? And we know from later in the passage, actually, down around verse 8, that any branch that's not connected to the vine is gathered up and burned, which is clearly a picture of, of hellfire, right? I mean, if you're not connected to this vine, who is Jesus, then you're going to be gathered up and burned. That picture is pretty clear. But John just spent 14 chapters telling us that if you believe in Jesus, you will have eternal life. And so we come to John 15 and suddenly says, but you have to bear fruit. Otherwise, you're going to cut off and be cut off and you're not going to have eternal life. No, I, I don't think so. So we, we look in to the Greek a little bit and we see that this word cuts off is actually the Greek word aro, which means to lift up. Now, it can mean to lift up and carry away and to take away and to to cut off in a way. But the primary definition of this word is to lift up. To take up or picked up. Correct. Yep. And so if you are a branch connected to the vine, Jesus, by faith, and you can never be cut off, you can never be separated from Christ, this is this concept of assurance of salvation, which I think is one of the most critical understandings for every Christian to understand that once you're in Christ, you are saved for all of eternity. You are born again, Forever, You receive the Holy Spirit and he will be with you forever, Jesus says. And so we are lifted up by God when we bear no fruit. In fact, it goes on to say, well, you read it. He prunes us. So he does prune us so that we might become fruitful. But he's never going to cut off the true believer in Christ. You have eternal life. He wants you to bear fruit for him. But if you don't, if you are in a period in your life, my own personal testimony is I had an active and growing faith, but I spent about eight or 10 years after college where I I just didn't bear much fruit for God. I still knew I was saved. I still prayed every once in a while. But from the outside, you would have not seen any fruit in my life. Uh, But I still— Absolutely believed that I had eternal life and was saved. I then started studying the word of God again. I went to a promise keeper's event. I I got engaged in my church again, and I started bearing fruit for God once again. I was pruned. I was lifted up so that I might bear much fruit. I think that's the picture from John 15. He's not
0: going to cut you off from Jesus ever. Mm -hmm. All right. This next one I, I've always enjoyed, and that is the passage uh, in Revelation about spitting you out of my mouth.
1: So, read. are you there yet, John? Uh, Revelation 3, uh, verse 15 and 16. Revelation 3, verse 15 and 16. This is part of the seven letters to the seven churches. So these are Jesus's words, by the way. So these are teachings of Jesus, even though we're not in the gospels, this is in the book of Revelation. But these words in your Bible, if you have a red letter Bible, are in red. These are words from Jesus. So Revelation 3, 15 and 16, read okay. that. Okay.
0: I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth.
1: So imagine me in junior high school, sitting in Sunday school class, and our instructor, our teacher says, I want you to rate your faith, hot, lukewarm, or cold. And he put, Our answer's up on the board. Well, there's 20, you know, 15-year-olds in there. Well, nobody wanted to say, I'm hot for Jesus, right? That's just a little too much. And nobody wanted to say, I'm cold for Jesus because, well, there's connotations that that means you're not saved or something. So all 20 of us said we were lukewarm. And then he read this verse, but because you are lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Well, is that what that verse means? And, and I don't think it is. We tend to look at this passage, and it's commonly taught, that hot, lukewarm, and cold are measures of our faith. How much faith or how interested we are in the person of Jesus. Like, I'm all in, I'm hot for him, or I'm cold for Jesus, meaning I don't have any interest in him. But it's a measure of faith. This passage is not about faith if you look at verse 15 again, it says, Jesus says, I know your deeds. I know your deeds, not I know your faith. I know your deeds. And then he goes on to say, I wish you were either hot or cold, meaning hot's a good thing and cold is a good thing. If cold meant that you were not saved, Why in the world wouldn't he spit the cold out as well as the lukewarm if the lukewarm was bad, right? Right. But he says, I wish you were cold or hot. So cold and hot are good things. It's being lukewarm – That is a bad thing. Okay, here we need to know a little history about the geography of Laodicea, who he was speaking to. And it's actually very simple. Laodicea had no wells or springs of its own. It had aqueducts that brought hot mineral water from Heropolis and fresh cold water from Colossae. They were useful to Laodicea. He's saying to the Laodiceans, I wish you were useful like hot water is and like cold water is. Those things are useful. But since you are not useful to me, since you are like the the branch that's not connected to the vine, that is not bearing any fruit for me because you're disconnected, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Because it's if when you mix a hot brackish mineral water with a cold spring water, what good is that? It's no good at all. It's, it, you can't use it for anything. So I think the lukewarm – properly understood here are the unbelievers at Laodicea. Because you are lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You are worthless. You are unsaved. I'd rather have you be connected to the vine and saved, bearing fruit, either hot or cold, because both of those things would be useful to him. Um, so I, I, we tend to see and describe and use the words lukewarm as, oh yeah, he's kind of a lukewarm Christian, meaning that he's, he just kind of has one foot in the world and one foot with Christ and he's wishy-washy and all that kind of stuff. No, in context, I believe the word lukewarm or the description lukewarm is someone who is unsaved.
0: Well, Jeff, let's flesh this out a little bit because you said that this is not a measurement of your faith. Um, and you go to the, fir- the start of 15 where it says, I know your deeds, mm-hmm. but now it seems like we've just turned it into your faith. Can I follow that?
1: Well, I, I didn't because the, the hot and the cold and the lukewarm, so, so what I'm describing is the hot and cold have faith, the lukewarm do not have faith, but the description, what he's using is the metaphor of the hot spring and the cold spring right. is basically for usefulness. If you're a branch Connected to the vine. I, I I link this directly to the vine and the branches of John 15. Okay, If you are a branch connected to the vine, Jesus says, I can bear fruit in you. Because you can't do anything on your own, but right. only that which Christ works in you and through you. So if you have faith, you'll produce fruit, the deeds, right? Mm-hmm. So just like the branch connected to the vine. If you're disconnected to the vine, you're, you're not good for anything except being gathered up and burned. You are going to be spit- out of his mouth, so lukewarm is an unbeliever who doesn't have faith. Even though he, the metaphor he's using is describing their deeds,
0: gotcha. not their faith. Well, I'm glad I asked because I think that clarified it at least in my head, and hopefully others. So Good. we'll be right back with more with Jeff Verdorn as we uh, continue our series on who is this Jesus, and we're talking today about the ten difficult teachings of Jesus. And looking at the time clock, I'm wondering if we're going to get through the remaining four. We'll find out when we get back.
1: Right here in my
0: heart, Father, let your kingdom come, Father, let your will be done. On Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. Here's this Jesus? That's our uh, discussion today with Jeff Verdorn, and we're talking about the difficult teachings of Jesus. If you've missed any of this, I highly recommend going to the beginning and make sure you hear it from the start. Of course, you can do that by going to MyFaithRadio.com in the afternoon with Bill's show page, and it'll be right there after the broadcast today. So I don't want you to miss any of this. We've gone through uh, some of the difficult teachings from the Sermon on the Mount, The passage in John that says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, Um, love your enemies in Matthew 10, Um, I never knew you to the false prophets, the cuts off from the branches in John 15, spit you out of my mouth from Revelations 3. Now we're going to go to Matthew 13, Jeff, and uh, what do we learn there?
1: Well, this is this phrase, fall away. He says that th- this is referring to one of the seeds of the parable of the sower, and we won't read the whole thing, but of one of the seeds, it says that uh, it it sprouts up, it receives with joy, and it sprouts up, but since they have no root, it lasts only a short time, and when persecution comes, uh, they quickly fall away. Now, there's a number of passages in the New Testament that use this phrase, fall away. And, And generally speaking, there's a body of thought in Christianity that says, once you're saved, you can, it's possible to fall away from faith and to lose your salvation. As we were just discussing before the break, I do not believe that's possible. I think that once you're born again and you have the Holy Spirit, that he truly will be with you forever, just as he promises. So what is this fall away? Well, again, sometimes going to the Greek helps uh, immensely. The Greek word here is aphistomy, and it means to withdraw. That is what this word means. I think the concept that Jesus was explaining is that when you are a new believer and you face persecution, your tendency is to withdraw, to fall away, to draw back, to hide your light under a basket. no right? Just like the, the song says, don't let your little light shine, right? No one puts a lamp under a basket, Matthew five fifteen. but he wants you to let your light shine before men. But when we experience persecution, we tend to hide our candle. We tend to hide our light. And that is what fall away means. It
0: means to withdraw, to shrink back, mm-hmm. not to lose your salvation. Yeah. And, and Jeff, I I love when cuz when we're born again by believing in Jesus the Holy Spirit comes into our spirit and lives with us forever and in Romans 8:16 I think that speaks very clearly to these two spirits the the spirit himself witnesses with our spirit that we are children of God so hmm. we know because we know because we know Amen
1: Yeah, there's a a long list of New Testament
0: passages
1: that uh, declare that once we are saved, we are saved forever. Um, And uh, we've actually done that show a couple times on air. So uh, it's a wonderful teaching. And I I I literally teach the idea of our assurance of salvation in every class that I teach. Hmm. It's that important.
0: Yeah. Well, I know because I know because I know. That I've been not only born again, but that I belong to Him, and He knows me by name and calls me by name, and I have that assurance. So I, I know that when I die, I will go to be in the presence of the Lord, and that's that's the confidence I have. And when, you know, when people say, "Well, if you died, would you go to heaven?" and they say, "Well, I hope so. I'm, I'm a pretty good guy." I don't know if the Spirit has, you know, let them know that you do you do belong to Him.
1: You know, 1 John ends, uh, towards the end of it, in chapter 5, he says, I write these things to you who believe, who are saved, so that you may know that you have eternal life. If we could lose our salvation, no one could ever know that you actually have eternal life. Mm-hmm. But, but Scripture and God says that we can know. We can know that we know that we know just as you say.
0: Amen. Yeah.
1: Okay, next one. Uh, number eight, go sell all your possessions. I'm not going to read this for the sake of time, but, uh, this is the rich young ruler who, uh, wanted to follow Jesus. And he says, well, you lack one thing, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Then come and follow me. Ooh, tough teaching. Mm -hmm. We have to sell everything that we
0: have. And a lot of garage sales.
1: (laughs) Yes. And sell everything you got. That would, that would be a good garage sale. Well, it's easier now. We got Facebook marketplace and things like that. That's true. That's true. We have to remember the context here that this young man, he claimed, he was claiming that he kept all of the law since he was a boy. And I think Jesus, knowing the man's heart, was trying, that he was trying to gain eternal life through works of the law, not through faith in Christ, which is how we gain eternal life. So I, I honestly do not believe this is a prohibition against having any wealth or that you have to sell everything. It's about the heart. This passage is about the heart. Jesus himself said in the Sermon of the Mount, store up your treasures in heaven, because where your treasure is, so will your heart be also.
0: Nice. Thank you for that. Let's try to move on to see if we can get to the finish line here. We no are. No, no reason if we have to do it another time, but Let's go no, we'll to, finish, because
1: um, I'm going to be really quick on number nine here, the okay. eye of the needle. Okay. Uh, this is just kind of a fun one. He says, again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So, again, it seems like it's almost impossible, because no camel can fit through the eye of the needle. Um, now, some will say, well, it's not Impossible, but it's hard because the eye of the needle was actually a small door in a larger city gate that they would open sometime to let in people single file or one camel at a time. I've never found, so that's how they explain this yep. passage, but I've never found a primary source that confirms there were small doors in larger gates for sure, but I've never found a primary source that says that that small door was called the eye of the needle. So I think Jesus is just using another first century Jewish idiom. Just like he's, he said, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Well, clearly, it's, he's just saying this is hard. You, you, it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the high of the needle than for someone rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. I think it's just an idiom that says it's hard for rich people Because they tend to trust in their wealth, Psalm 49, 6 says, instead of trusting in God. It's not impossible. Many wealthy people that I know love the Lord with all their heart. And so it's not impossible. It's just more difficult because they tend to trust in wealth. All right. And I've got like three minutes or so for the final one. Is that right? Yeah, about two minutes. So talk faster. So the last one is, is this. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is probably one of the hardest teachings of all, that the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. One of the great lies of the world is that there's many roads to God and that all religions eventually lead to God. That is a lie straight from the pit of you know what. Mm -hmm. Jesus said "There's, there's one name. God says there's one mediator between God and man, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. Acts says that their salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. If anybody acknowledges the son before the father, the father will acknowledge him. Salvation is only through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the narrow gate that which we must enter
0: through faith in Christ. Well done. Jeff Redorn, thank you for that teaching. I have enjoyed it, and I know many listeners have as well. I'm I've, I've seeing it on the text line. So thank you so for that. So next
1: time, next time, by the way, I think we're going to enter into the part of this class about Jesus's
0: future coming. Okay. I'm I'm all in for that. And then in the meantime, have a good couple of days, and I will see you Thursday uh, for Guy Talk. Uh, be thank prompt. you, Bill. Be prompt. All right, I will. All right, thanks, Jeff. All right, that's our show for today. If you missed any of it, I do recommend checking it out. Go to the podcast, download the app. It's nice to have the app because uh, it does give you fast access to all the programs of Faith Radio. And if you missed uh, Carmen or Susie or uh, maybe any of this show and you want to make sure you catch it, you can uh, just go to your your smartphone or whatever device you have. Maybe you've got one of those cool iPads and you can uh, go right to the app, myfaithradio.com. Check it out. Have a nice evening. I look forward to being with you tomorrow as you lay your head on that pillow. Just know that God cares about you and loves you, and I do too. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.